You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to. Do not to not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. 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 Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Quee. Welcome to episode number 17. Now, you're all probably wondering, Brian, where the heck have you been? Well, most recently, I just closed on a home and we just recently moved. And of course, with moving, we got to move stuff. We got to saddle. And of course, I don't even have anything in regards to recording. So this week, I've been spending a lot of time prepping the home and then finally getting an office studio to do our podcast. So uh, right now I'm actually settled and moving on forward to continuing on with this podcast. As usual, I do want to thank you all for being part of this podcast and also want to give you information on how to support the podcast. Of course, check us out on iTunes. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. You can also support the podcast by checking out medicalcodinggeek.com slash podcast. You can also sign up for job alerts or check out our job search function by going to medicalcodinggeek.com slash jobs. You can also check out our partners by going to medicalcodinggeek.com slash partners. Our partners include the Haugen Consulting Group, Project Resume, RadRx, and most recently, we joined up with the Coding Institute. And of course, we have a lot more coming on in. But of course, uh, we'll definitely have to announce that at a later date. Today on the podcast, we have Paula Digby. In this episode, we talk about whistleblowing. We talk about fraud and abuse. We talk about rehabilitation coding. But most importantly, she is the founder and principal of AQ Consulting AQIQ, and also the IRF Pro Lab Workshops. We also talk about her podcast, Coffee with the Coder. Please make sure to listen to the end of the episode to make sure to hear some of the wonderful events that they have planned. So without further ado, here is my interview with Paula Digby. Enjoy. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified. I have here with me Paula Digby. How are you, Paula? Hi, Brian. I'm doing well today. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me to uh, be a part of your show. Well, it's, it's it's good to have you. And we were just talking earlier about it, it. You know how the tables have turned, where uh, people who normally do the webinars and do certain lectures are the people now who are receive. You know, on the other end, uh, being questioned. Uh, but it's a good thing, you know. This this interview process is definitely kind of like a job interview. That's when I was when it, when I did it for the first time when somebody had done it to me uh, by the name of um, uh, Mark Graham. He turned it around. I said, "Well, this kind of feels like a, a job interview," <laughs> you know. <laughs> I said, "Well, it's not really a job interview. I mean, you got to turn it around and make it a story." So, anyways, there you go. Yeah. So again, go. I do thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, I usually start off like how we connected, and I believe somebody from your company, which we'll talk about, reached out to me because I have you know a couple groups on Facebook, 
and she reached out to me and says, hey, can you uh, help me uh, promote uh, this podcast? I said, oh, a podcast? Bef- this is before I started mine, by the way. So she she came up to me. I, I forgot her name, but I know she's probably a part of your marketing team. Uh, yes, came her to name me. was Christine. Chris- yes. Okay, Christine. Hello, Christine. And um, she came to me and approached me and said, hey, can you help me out and promote um, Coffee with the Coder? I said, oh, that sounds pretty cool. And so... Uh, we connected then, but then I think we lost touch then, and then I started creating the podcast. And and when I created the podcast, I always remember within the past two years who I made connections with. And I'm like, my goodness, I wish I wrote it down. So every time I'm on, on Facebook, I'm on social media, I'll look and see, oh, okay, well, I remember this person who who connected with me. This, pe- this person has a podcast. This person has an actual broadcast that they're putting online. And... Um, I, I forgot Chris, Christine Christine's name, and I actually went to your website, and I found your name, and I reached out to you. Then you reached out to me, and this is how we came to be. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, actually, uh, Brian, what we do is uh, with Coffee with a Coder, it's a national call uh, every other Monday, and uh, folks submit questions from around the country, coding, billing, compliance-type questions, and if um, their question gets chosen to be used during Coffee with a Coder, which is it's just a 10 to 15 minute call because we don't want to take your whole day. This is not a webinar. This is a take a 10 or 15 minute, have your coffee break with us. If your question gets chosen, then we mug you. In, in other words, we send you a coffee mug. Oh, nice. Coffee with the Coder. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll touch more and get a little bit deeper with Coffee with the, co- with the Coder, get a little more into the dark roast, right? Uh, but before we begin, I always start off with this is... I want you, people want to know who you are, right? So they, I'm sure people who are listening, they know what coffee with the coder is, uh, but I want people to know more about Paula. So Paula, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and where you came from and how you came to be? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I've actually been in healthcare now pushing about 30 years. Um, and when I think about it, I think about, you know, going back to my days as a, as a baby in healthcare, I actually did not have any type of specialized training at that point. Uh, I went to work through a temp agency for a medical equipment company, and I had the best boss at that company, and she actually took me and gave me a claim form and showed me every single part of the claim form and told me how to fill out that claim form and how to make sure it was accurate and appropriate. So from there... I um, made several changes and, and from, that, from that job, went into uh, working in a physician practice, uh, worked in several different specialties of physician practices uh, until about the, I would say it was about the late 80s. And in the late 80s, I, had a, I was working for a general surgeon group and I had a document come across my desk uh, that said by the year 2000 there would be an 80% shortage in the field of medical coders. So that piqued my interest and so it was at that point, um, I think it was right after the American Academy of Professional Coders actually came out and I took it on my own and got certified. Um, And when I got certified, ended up making a few personal moves um, and then moved back to the metro Atlanta, Georgia area because at that time I lived in southern Alabama and moved back to the uh, metro Atlanta, Georgia area 
and went to work for a um, an ambulatory surgery center that had multi specialties, and we were um, doing you know coding, billing, as well as I was supervising the front desk. Now, from that position, I actually also began teaching folks in a classroom setting how to become certified coders. Um, did that for a, a number of years, probably uh, about four or five years. And during that time, I had a person who I had done some consulting work with call me and say, hey, we want you to come to work for us. And that at that time, that company uh, was a forensic accounting firm. They were getting into the, it's sort of like investigative accounting where we did lots and lots of medical fraud related files. So my background involves working with the Department of Justice, um, with Maine Justice in DC, as well as the Northern District of Georgia and down in Florida. And um, so, as well as the Medicaid anti-fraud unit here in the state of Georgia where I reside. So I have done a lot of that investigative type, you know, validating whether a, a whistleblower lawsuit has validity and then doing the medical record review to show whether or not there was any type of wrongful action in the billing and coding piece or the documentation piece. Um, and um, out of that uh, world, um, my boss at that time and I decided that um, we wanted to start our own business, consulting business. And that has been, that was in 1998. Uh, so we left that firm, started our own consulting business, and five years later started our own, own online um, because what we realized is we were doing so much work for the Department of Justice and so much investigative work that, you know, physicians and hospitals and other entities who were getting in trouble with the government wanted us to work on their side so that they could go, oh, what does the government think in this situation? You've been mm -hmm. on, sitting on the other side of the table with the AUSA. So from that perspective, it was like, oh, that's great. So we then um, created a website to teach um, not only coding, but billing compliance, and then move into um, all the areas of HIPAA and things like that. Really, the things that we learned in case file work um, became education components for those uh, you know folks who are out there who are interested in. And I know that when I worked in a physician office way back in the day, you know we were always scared the government was going to walk through the door and go, oh my gosh, you're doing all this stuff wrong and we're going to get shut down. You know we've coded something wrong, we've built something wrong. Well, you know the government's kind of sees themselves as the men in white hats, if you will. They don't see themselves as the oh my gosh, we're we're running in and we're just shutting down these bad bad doctors. You know, um, and in most cases, the physicians, although I could tell you a lot of stories about um, cases where there was uh, absolute intentional uh, misdoing, um, but in most cases, there were situations where it wasn't intentional by the provider. And what that has, having that background has allowed me to then go into provider entities, look at their revenue cycle look at their coding, look at their clinical documentation, and look at their overall process of how they do things and fix the root cause errors with them so that they can, you know, move forward without worrying about being in, out of compliance. 
So that's a little bit about me. But the other piece that uh, I didn't share with you, Brian, and this is just something in the last eight years that has really taken off for me. Um, I do work a lot with hospitals. I work a lot with physicians. I work a lot with attorneys. But I also uh, work nationally with about 60 to 65 inpatient rehab facilities a year. So um, there's a shortage, I think, of folks who understand the dynamic of how the coding and billing piece works with inpatient rehab facilities. So I specialize in that. So that's that's one of my little boutique businesses, I guess uh. I would say. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> So let me let, let's take a step back. You mentioned some very intriguing points in your career. And I'm sure the audience were listening like, well, what's that? And one thing that that at least piqued my interest was the word whistleblower. So from what I understand and what I have taught, um, you know, it's all about fraud and abuse, right? Um, and with whistleblowing, now from what I understand with whistleblowing, correct me if I'm wrong, since I'm, I am speaking with an expert now, <laughs> is, <laughs> is, is, well, most recently, I've always thought as compliance as just following rules, right? And right. that's that's true to a certain point, but there is more to it than just that. You know, it's about understanding rules and regulations, right? And abiding yeah. by them, staying updated with them. Right. Correct. And the other piece, which was very interesting to me, was the whistleblower. Right. And okay. I think there's there's something called Kitam. Kitam is that what it is? Kitam it actually is is the is the word that means whistleblower. Yeah. Action. So there it's you a go. Kitam lawsuit. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So from what I understand, what Kitam and whistleblowing is, is a whistleblower is somebody who, if they see something wrong. And they don't get anywhere. They can go to the government, right, and say, hey, this is something is going wrong. For example, I guess in our industry, it could be uh, purposeful, intentional, negligent upcoding, right? Correct. And so Correct. if you guys are interested, <laughs> definitely look it up because uh, it is something that is happening a lot, and uh, I believe South Florida, which is unfortunately where I'm from, is is a big hub of that, uh, with <laughs> with a lot of noncompliance and fraudulent issues. Now, what that means, like I said, they're 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 purposely, negligently, uh, with intent, billing for services that they haven't done, or perhaps have no documentation, no proof, right? So there's no medical necessity. All of that's out the window. Well, um, let me actually yeah, give you sure. let me actually give you some points that you may not be aware of. Right. Um, it doesn't have to be intentional. Okay. Did you know that? No. Because um, what has to happen is um, if let's say, for example, uh, my uh, physician office is coding always. This was a case I worked on once where the um, it was a cardiology group. And in the cardiology group, when the um, physician performed the surgical procedure, which was a cabbage, the person who was doing the coding and billing of that, regardless of what the documentation said, someone had told them in the office that we know that he always uses the left internal mammary artery also. So they always added a code for that IMA graft 
which added additional revenue to every single claim for a period of about five years. And those are for the open heart surgeries, correct? That was the open heart okay. surgeries, correct. Now, that, now, I work in all genres, but this was just one issue. Now, the physician was not intentionally doing harm. Um, and the person who was coding and billing the service was not intentionally doing harm because they thought they were doing right. The problem happens when, you know, we go in and do an audit or someone comes in and does an audit behind them and says, wait a minute, this information is not documented, um, then there becomes an issue. Um, however, what, um, what happens oftentimes is the government's stance in that is the uh, rule, the law says basically if it was known or should have been known. So that means, you know, getting through the regulations, do you, you know, you read all the regulations and you know every one of the physicians that we know read all the regulations and they know exactly what they say, right? No, not really. <laughs> so that's why known or should have known. So if the government says I published it and you didn't read it, that, do, that doesn't mean it's not a fraud because, you know, you should have known better. Right. So in, in that case where the intent wasn't there, but I guess, I guess another question that can pop up is even though they don't have the intent, is it, is it possible to be whistleblown on that? It is um, possible to be whistleblown, and what happens with a whistleblower with the whistleblower law case, lawsuit cases is they typically um, one of the roles that I played uh, with the DOJ here in the Northern District of Georgia is I would validate whether or not um, you know if it was related to a coding or a documentation or a billing issue. I would validate whether or not it was um, a true, uh, if you will issue that needed to be addressed because the government, they will hear um, the whistleblower's allegation and then they will determine, they will do a little research and they will determine whether or not they want to get behind that case. Now, one of the first questions the government will ask the whistleblower or the whistleblower's attorney is they will say, do you have a compliance plan and did you follow that compliance plan? And if you followed that compliance plan and things did not change, then that would be a reason that they would maybe take a deeper look and say, okay, well, there was something going on here. We either will get behind this case and, and argue it or we will just let it go. Um, if you had a compliance plan and you did not follow the compliance plan within your own organization, the government will tell you in most cases, uh, everyone I've worked in to go back and follow your compliance plan. Right. I guess so. They won't just take that whistleblower's word. Yeah. So the point is, in in order to to whistleblow, <laughs> you identify what the problem is, and you have to tell the. I'm sure every organization, hospital organization, healthcare organization, has a compliance department. So your first responsibility should be to go there. You say, hey, we have a compliance department. I, I, they have policies where you can remain anonymous. Just let them know. And I guess the most important thing is to follow up, right, or monitor it. So I don't know what they do after, after that point is monitor what happens. If there is no change and you still see the behavior going on, you've done already that part. 
is letting your employer compliance department know. And again, you can remain anonymous. And then after the fact, then you can go to either was it the Department of Justice or the Office of Inspector General, as far as, far as I'm, I understand. Right. Well, you would go to an attorney. Oh, you go to an attorney first. Yeah, you would go to an attorney. Oh, you wouldn't just go straight to them and say, hey, I have a problem? (laughs) Correct, correct. You would go to an attorney and let the attorney go. And I'll tell you, one of the the things that is so, the reason whistleblowing uh, gets such a big, um, I guess, uh, what is my word I'm looking for? It gets a lot of attention. Yes. Is because anytime the government, takes back money on a whistleblower yes, lawsuit. Yes, this is my point. Yes, go ahead. Yes, the whistleblower gets 30%. Can you imagine that? And they get their money first before <laughs> the government gets theirs. Wow. So is that, so, so my the reason why I bring that up because I you know when I sat down to a compliance uh, session and they mentioned that and they mentioned the amount that they get back I mean, yes, it should not. I mean, I, I agree it should not be the driving factor, but but can you know there are people who walk away, you know, in terms of the final judgment, a percentage of that going into the millions, you know. Yes. And oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm you know I'm I'm just like we're in the wrong <laughs> I'm in the <laughs> wrong business, and you know this is this is a very good point to tell your kids it pays to tattletale, you know, and. Uh, well, to a certain extent, it, right? So, you know, as long as we're within the lot. rules. <laughs> right. Well, and as an, as a consultant, you know, of course, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be the one doing that. But, um, and and the thing that you need to make sure and do, there mm-hmm. was a case um, here in uh, Metro Atlanta okay. a few years back, well, several years back, that I actually worked on where um, there, there, the payback was like $144 million. Wow. The, and the employee of the organization was there only like two months. Mm-hmm. And she went through the proper chain of command right. to address the issue uh-huh. and was kind of brushed off. Wow. And because she was brushed off, she hired an attorney and went forth. Um, so if she had not gone through the proper chain of command, of course, the government would have said, did you follow your compliance plan? Did you go through the proper chain of command? And, and, you know, they wouldn't have automatically taken that case. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just you have to follow the rules to get, you know, to the end, end game. So, um, you know, and, and there are a lot of whistleblower lawsuits, as you said. And yeah. like you said, Florida is kind of a hotbed for yeah. them. Um, um, you know, you make a good point is, is people who are employed, right? You know, you have that right to speak up, right? So anytime you see something wrong, this is why employers when you do your onboarding, your you know, organiz- you know, um your orientation, sorry, uh they make sure they they make you aware. So when you listen to that for anybody that's newer, you know, getting into the career and they finally go into orientation, you'll go through a compliance training. So I would very list I would listen very <laughs> very closely to your compliance uh director, uh officer, whoever it may be and get an understanding, hey, look, if you see a process that is not Ethical, I think that's the word, right? If it's not an ethical practice, you need to let them know. And then, of course, as Paula had mentioned, is you know if if it doesn't work out, then you might need an attorney to help you assist you uh, to make that right, you know. And so, um, of course, again, money's not the driver, but I mean, just the just just those figures alone just make your eyeballs just go crazy. 
They mm. really do. And, 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 and Brian, most of those attorneys, you know, take it on a contingency basis because they mm -hmm. know they're going to, there's going to get a big windfall right. as well. You okay. know, I know there are several here in, in Metro Atlanta that, uh, you know, they work solely with that type of lawsuit. You've also mentioned you've moved into rehabilitation. Uh, rehabilitation, I believe that is the earth pie, as Correct. I've heard it. Uh, anytime I hear it, I'm hungry. I'm like, mm, I'm hungry for some <laughs> pie every time I hear it. But um, from my experience, it, it, it is like a certain, I hear tears, I hear different things. The coding is there. It's just a different structure. It's kind of like MSDRG somewhat, a little bit, uh, kind of like APRDRG. But it has, from what I understand, uh, like there is some form of DRG. There's some form of tears. Maybe you can explain it a little bit, kind of summarize it for a second. Yeah, it's 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 called a, a CMG actually. Um, and what happens, and and there is a huge disconnect in the inpatient rehab uh, facility world, particularly when you're talking about the majority of inpatient rehab facilities are attached to a hospital setting. So and so the coders who are coding for that inpatient rehab facility oftentimes are also coding for that acute care hospital. So we as coders, when we code for an acute care hospital, if we have not been trained to code specifically for inpatient rehab, the, the document that you mentioned is called the EarthPi, and, and let me just say that for folks on the line that don't think I'm saying uh, Earth. That's what I thought. <laughs> you know, P-I-E. Um, it is Earth Inpatient Rehab Facility Pi Patient Assessment Instrument. So that is a document, it's about 16 pages long right now, that gets filled out and, and the information that goes in that document, that is coded on that document, is actually what sets the payment rate when we're talking about a Medicare case. But that coding that then goes on the UBO4 for your Medicare cases does not, the diagnosis coding I'm talking about, the ICD-10 coding, does not set your payment rate. So we're not paid based on DRGs in that world when we're talking about Medicare. Um, you know, if you've got your non-Medicare cases, you might be a percent of charges, you might be a per diem rate, just like your non-Medicare uh, cases, you know, for DRGs or in our, in our inpatient, acute inpatient world. Um, but in the earth world, that case mix group is determined by the information that is put on that earth pie and that includes an etiologic diagnosis which has a different um, definition than our principal diagnosis on the claim form and here's where since we transitioned to ICD-10 a lot of folks get it wrong um, you know in the old days under ICD-9 we would report V5789 as our principal diagnosis because the patient's here for rehab that has completely changed in the ICD-10 world. And then you've got folks in the inpatient rehab facility who are, who are bringing those codes from a person uh, who is working in the HIM department as a coder. They're coding for the UBO4, but the guidelines for coding those uh, diagnoses on the EarthPi are different. So we've got a whole disconnect of coding for one document, providing those codes to the inpatient rehab facility staff to fill out the EarthPi, which is going to set our reimbursement rate, um, and the two are not connecting because we're giving them UBO4 rule codes rather than EarthPi codes. 
So just to give you a little, and it is sort of like uh, MSDRGs, um, whereas you have an etiologic diagnosis, you have an impairment group, and the two of those should kind of match. So your impairment group, say for example, could be stroke, then of course your etiologic diagnosis that caused you to be in the rehab would be an acute stroke. Whereas if we're coding that claim in the UBO4 world, our principal diagnosis is going to be the aftercare or, or the I-69 code for the stroke, for the like hemiplegia or whatever the residual is. Um, and then we have all our comorbidities reported also, which those diagnoses are sort of like, could act as a CC or an MCC in the DRG world. You would have tiered diagnosis. So there's a list of diagnoses, there's four tiers. Um, and who, in the government's infinite wisdom, there's an A tier, a B tier, a C tier, and a D tier. Which one, Brian, do you think is going to bring the most, the highest payment? The A tier, the B tier, the C tier, or the D tier? I'm just going to take a guess, a D tier? That's wrong. <laughs> Let me just tell you, it is so crazy. And I asked one of the people, uh, actually at the government, when when I got her ear, and she was one of the physicians who was uh, involved in writing this inpatient rehab facility payment criteria or logic, I said the highest tier patient is a B tier, like in boy, and then the next tier is a C, and then the next tier is a D, and the lowest payment, so in, and the highest tier meaning a B meaning the highest payment, then a C meaning the next highest payment, then a D the next, and then an A tier would mean the patient had no comorbidities on any of those other lists and so you're going to get the lowest payment because the severity of illness is meant to be you know of course lower I don't understand so there's no certain so, order it's not like an ABCD uh, leveling you know A's the worst D's the best or something like that it actually <laughs> it's just is totally out of order the, yeah it's totally out of order it's BCDA oh, and gosh. I asked her I was <laughs> like well you know why did you guys do this? Why didn't you do an ABCD, you know? And she said, you know, honestly, I don't know why we did it that way. <laughs> so, so so this brings to my question, who, who is the, I guess, governing body who developed the Earth Pie? Um, that would be, along with the government, um, it would have also been a company called UDS, Uniform Data Systems. They were involved with CMS. Um, and UDS, there's actually... To um, CMS has a an, a um, software that helps people fill in the Earth Pie if you wanted to get it for free, and that that software is called Irvin I R V E N. But there's also two large companies. There's um, E Rehab Data and UDS, and UDS um, both of them have also softwares that that facilities can purchase. That uh, to fill out the Earth Pie as well. Okay, so it's like um, um, you know, it's so they, so basically CMS contracted out uh, that company to develop that. It's the same thing like how uh, CMS when ICD-10 came out, uh, they contracted out 3M to develop both the PCS um, and also the APRDRG. So they <laughs> so they, they they let them out. So uh, it's interesting when I learned that I'm like, well, the government to come up with that? No, they 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 have somebody else <laughs> <laughs> do it for them, and it, it's just very interesting. Like you know, it's 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 where you know you think it originates. Like there are people there, but I think they pay people who know that industry to do it for them. Right. Right. 
Right. It, it, at least at least a little bit, and then they get to the payment logic part, and, and they just is like, what? Yeah. <laughs> because it can get very convoluted. So let me ask this question. Is there a spe- specific like certification for somebody who would want to be in rehabilitation coding? Please take a moment and hear a word from our partners. This podcast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. In need of great talent for your business but short on time, you don't have to get a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. You can even get a head start on the interview process by adding screening questions to your job posts to help identify the most qualified candidates so you don't have to waste your time sorting through a stack of resumes to find the perfect fit. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, listeners of this podcast can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash MedicalCodingGeek. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash MedicalCodingGeek. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash MedicalCodingGeek. This podcast is brought to you by the Haugen Consulting Group. The Haugen Consulting Group is your trusted partner in healthcare consulting, education, and auditing. They also believe fun is non-negotiable. Check out their popular flip bits. It's a great hands-on resource. I have one for ICD-10 PCS coding, and it's great. Listeners of this podcast will receive a 15% discount if you use the promo code GEEK15. Again, that's G-E-E-K-1-5. If you go to thehaugengroup.com slash shop. Again, for your 15% discount, use our promo code G-E-E-K-1-5 at www.thehaugengroup.com slash shop. This podcast is brought to you by accessadoctor.com. Access a doctor when you need it most. How would you like to have quick and easy access to licensed doctors 24 hours a day, 7 days a week? Instead of scheduling an appointment to see a doctor or going to the emergency room or urgent care, you simply make one phone call and a doctor will provide you with a consultation, diagnose your medical problem, and even call in a prescription to your local pharmacy. Some of the conditions that can be treated using accessadoctor.com include cold and flu symptoms, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, allergies, skin infections or rashes, and even eye and ear infections. Listeners of this podcast can get a discount on their single and family membership plans by going to accessadoctor.com and using our promo code GEEK, that's G-E-E-K, upon signing up. Again, that's accessadoctor.com. And the promo code is GEEK, G-E-E-K. This podcast is brought to you by RadRx. RadRx is your prescription for accurate coding and reimbursement. RadRx offers interventional and diagnostic coding consulting, auditing, webinars, trainings, and resource materials. Medical Coding Geek and Not Also Classified followers will receive a 10% discount. You can go to shop.radrx.com and use our promo code GEEK10 to claim your 10% discount. Again, use promo code GEEK10 when you go to shop.radrx.com. 
Um, there is not, and wow. it's interesting that you asked, Brian, because I was uh, actually thinking of creating that. Um, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> because yeah, because there is not, you know, there's there's certification for um, for inpatient uh, rehab facility liaisons, and those are the folks who fill out the ERFPI, but they have to have open communication with that coder because they don't understand coding at all. They only get a list from the coder and then translate it over. And remember, we've got that whole disconnect a lot of times where they're coding for the UB rather than the ERFPI, and so we get incorrect codes. Um, or, you know, they make select an incorrect impairment group, which is one of the reasons, and, and another thing I haven't shared with you, that we have decided um, starting in October for the next year to go around the country doing three-day inpatient rehab facility coding wow. boot camp. Hello, everybody. Brian here. I just wanted to give you guys an update. Uh, this recording was done in August of last year. And since then, Paula has created a IRF sort of coding certification. It's actually called IRF Revenue Integrity Specialist. Uh, the information will be on the show notes. Again, go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash podcast. Now back to the episode. You got so, your work cut out for you. Yeah, there's such a need. <laughs> there's such a need. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, I heard about EarthPie when when um, I was doing CDI, and I actually had worked uh, in a rehab facility and they were mentioning that and they were trying to develop a you know like kind of like a CDI for rehabilitation but yeah. i think mostly it comes down to that like you said that 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 gap between inpatient coding for rehab facilities and then the ERFPI, like the UBO form right. and the ERFPI, there's a definite big gap. And I, I see that you've identified that. <laughs> and, it, I, you know, you're making it your mission to, to make sure that gap is filled. Well, and I've actually um, worked with a few facilities that, since you say that, to implement a CDI program in rehab. I mean, I've done that with acute care hospitals, too. But rehab, oh, my gosh, there's such a need, inpatient and outpatient you know, working with getting those physicians to say um, the right thing to, you know, make sure there is, particularly since we moved to ICD-10, we had a, we had a faux pas in the final rule uh, over the last few years related to some payment issues and coding issues for inpatient rehab, and thank God this year they straightened it out, but originally, I don't know if you can imagine, um, in inpatient rehab, they have a rule that is called the 60% rule. So Medicare says 60% of your patients have to fit in one of these 13 categories. And that the, these diagnosis codes in these categories, I mean, there's hundreds of them or thousands of them, but they have to fit in that 60% of your patients do. And if they don't, in your given calendar year, your um, qualification year, not a calendar year, but your qualification year, then you are at risk the next year of being paid under DRGs rather than CMGs, which would, you know, let me just tell you, the DRGs are, you know, look, five to 10,000 because you're expecting three to five day stays typically for that type of patient. But in the rehab world, you're expecting 10 days to two weeks. And the payment rate starts about where the DRGs stop and go up to about 55, 60,000 right. for that stay oh, because you've got a little, 
much longer length of stay. Yes, longer length of stay so, and a lot of intensive resources to you know lot. get you back to uh, normal, somewhat normal. Yes. Right? So what happened that faux pas is, and and this is just me, and I've said this to many people when I've been training them on inpatient rehab, is. Um, and I'll tell you about something else because we actually wrote a book. We were so frustrated with this. We wrote a book. Um, but uh, what happened is that CMS said when a patient is a brain-injured patient, but the coding doesn't describe whether or not there was a loss of consciousness. Now, this is when the rule came in with a new ICD-10 codes that that case did not qualify as a 60% case. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh is right. Yeah. Because it threw I could say something else, but we got to get it clean. exactly. <laughs> it threw the rehab world in a mess. Well, mm -hmm. this year they corrected that error, but it, for two years, really, you know, we were telling um, rehab facilities, you know, if that patient is appropriate for rehab, they could have been walking down the train track and, you know, got hit and somebody just saw them and nobody knew how long they Consciousness. It was just unknown. So, um, so it, it So, what ha I think happened is they probably at CMS gave someone a list of codes and they said, "Mark out all the ones that end in a zero or a nine. Oh gosh, no. And and those <laughs> were no longer going to accept because oh. when you look at the ones that they took out of accepting at sixty percent when mm -hmm. they made that big faux pas, right. um, they usually ended in a zero and a nine. But uh, again, thank goodness they uh, corrected that this Good. year in the final rule. Okay. So, so um, I we bet they had, I bet they heard it. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. I mean, they had they had uh, the American Hospital Association and several others going after them to correct that big issue. Um, and we we had such uh, struggles probably about two years ago we were having such struggles and we were working with so many inpatient rehab facilities that did not have that open communication with their HIM staff that we actually wrote a 600 page manual that mirrors the EarthPi manual um, section 6 of the EarthPi manual and we included in clinical documentation improvement um, you know, this is what to tell your doctor to say about this diagnosis, in other words. Um, so it's it's been a, a great seller for us, and people just people love it just because there was nothing out there like it. I know there's a there, – I'm not making this a CDI episode, but, you know, my background is, a CD, is, is in CDI, and one of the things that is good to do is, you know, let doctors know what they can do to prevent those specific queries. And it comes down to their documentation. So you, you're doing wonders. <laughs> and you seem like you have a lot of work to do in the next coming year. Well, speaking of that, let's talk about your company, AQ Consulting. And I'm sure there's other ones as well. You can elaborate on that. But I'm sure it stems off of this one, right? AQ Consulting. So can you tell us, the audience, and myself uh, a little bit about AQ Consulting, how it came to be, and and what it's all about. Sure, sure. Um, I think originally when we started uh, talking a little earlier, um, my a business partner and I, when we originally started the company, um, it was uh, it had a little different name. But then uh, she retired uh, of several years back, and I took the company over and just named it AQ Consulting. And then out of that, as a growth, 
uh, as an outgrowth of that, I should say, we I started AQIQ, which is the online AQIQ.com, which is an online, um, you know, let me give you all the information of everything I learn while I'm out in the field, if you will. So the AQ Consulting is the feet on the street. You know, we go to facilities. We do um, CDI work. We do um, medical record reviews, you know, chart to bill, revenue cycle type issues. Um, you know, looking at, um, you know, I have a lot of fun with the CDI and I have a lot of fun with educating physicians and medical record staff. I had a, had a call earlier today and this is one of those areas which when I say this to you, Brian, you're going to go, oh my gosh, this is a problem everywhere almost. Um, injections and infusions, you know, there's money flying out the door in, in the ERs across the country, you know, and she said, could you please come train my staff? <laughs> And I said, sure. Um, so um, that's just a little bit about what um, AQC does. And I just shortened it to AQC for AQ Consulting. Um, I, I work, like I said, with about 60 to 65 rehab, inpatient rehab facilities around the country every year uh, doing their compliance reviews. Um, and on top of that, we work with uh, physicians. I have several attorney clients where you know, maybe a physician or a facility has has um, gotten into trouble, or maybe they think there's a problem. Then I will work with them on the um, auditing piece to look and see, you know, is there a real problem, and how do we need to handle, how do we need to disclose to the government? Since I've been on that side of the government, then we have those conversations about what in the past has happened in those, you know, conversations across the government table, if you will. Um, and um, that's that's just probably a, a, a little bit. The other another thing that I have done, um, we've done on several occasions, is worked with device manufacturers to help them research either is there a code for their product that they're bringing to the market, okay, or how do they get a code yes. for the product that they're bringing to the market. We just talked about this. Um, if you listen to Dr. Cesar Limoco's episode, uh, we talked about this with the ICD-10. Uh, coordination and maintenance committee, right? And he brought up a good story about uh, Dr. Oz and how he attended one of those meetings trying to introduce the LVAD. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was interesting. So, yes, that that's very good. Where you know, like people, I guess physicians who have certain products, they can do a little bit more research. It's kind of like putting a trademark, kind of like you know, they yeah. want to make sure they want to apply if there's an applicable code or perhaps if it's a new type of device. They can, attend, you know, go, you know what they need to do or who needs to represent them uh, to get that specific code created. That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting stuff. It really is. I I really love the, um, you know, investigating where the issues are and then going and teaching and help facilities, you know, work against those root causes to correct them. That is like my passion, my all time passion. So, um, in a, in addition to that, you know, uh, all these other things that happen on the periphery, it's all fun, you know, because I, I, healthcare, you know, I sort of fell into it through my first job in a temp, at, through a temp agency, but stayed in it forever since then. So that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so you're actually doing more amazing things. You, <laughs> aside from all this stuff, I mean, you, I, you know, this is the first time I'm actually hearing it, and so. Uh, for those that don't know, I tell them 
I try not to to have them tell me the answer, the interviewers. I said, don't tell me the answer. I like the spontaneity because uh, hearing things like compliance, hearing things like forensic accounting, hearing things like trying to get a code created for yourself, for your device or whatever uh, condition that whoever, you know, and, you know, found or developed or, you know, did research on that to me is amazing. You know, it, it's it's very intriguing to know that I think I've never thought of coding, you know, when we think initially of coding or assigning code or doing billing is the actual, you know, head in the paper, head in the computer, head in the keyboard type of work. But I think once you get your head away from that and actually look, uh, be more interested in how a code is created, how it is developed every year, how a change is made, I'm sorry, is made, then it makes the whole entire industry so much more interesting. Oh, it does, Brian. And there are so many, like you said, it's almost like you have to get out of your own box and go, wow, there is so much opportunity in this field. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you, you definitely picked it up, especially with the rehabilitation coding. So that that is yes. something that is totally awesome. So as I was mentioning, you're doing a lot of things. And one thing that, it, that definitely, again, has uh, caught my attention is you have started what's called Coffee with a Coder. So how, can you tell us what that series or that uh, podcast is all about? Um, it is. Um, yes, I will. Um, <laughs> what we do is um, we started marketing it um, probably mid last year, started talking to folks about every time myself or one of, one of our consultants goes to a facility or, you know, creates a relationship with a client, then we start getting uh, an inbox, email inbox full of questions. And so we decided that, you know, we wanted to be able to answer those questions so that other people could hear them as well. Um, we do, uh, on the AQIQ website, folks who subscribe to the AQIQ website, they have the ability to ask questions you know every month they have they get the the webinars that are presented every month they get the tools that are on the site um, but this coffee with the coder was not about getting CEUs it was really about those questions that keep going into our inbox and we wanted to be able to offer something back to the community at large and say hey here we are you know let us answer your questions so we ask people to submit their toughest questions, um, and we ask them, you know, we only can answer probably three to four every other week when we do our, our national call, um, and there's some great questions on there, I'll tell you, um, pretty, pretty detailed questions that folks are asking, so sometimes we only can get to two because they're sending full op notes, and we're like, oh, okay, gosh. let's just, let, yeah, let's just, let's just, you know, curb this down just a little bit and give you the gist of the situation just to get you the answer but we will always call the person we don't use every question that comes in but when we are going to use a question we will always call or email the person and say hey your question's going to be on today or on you know this week or monday or whatever that whatever um date is going to be on and then at the end of that call um, you know, we have a bit of conversation about the questions that are posed and the answers, the responses that the experts have researched. And then one of the questions that are used, uh, you have a chance to get mugged. 
so we uh, draw a name out of a hat. Can you explain we, what? Okay, you're explaining. Yeah, we, we <laughs> okay. draw a name out of a hat, and we send you one of our AQIQ coffee mugs. Uh. And then we ask you, I mean, this is the fun part. Uh -huh. um, the, the folks who have won uh, the coffee mugs, and I think there's been about 20 folks oh, wow. so far that have won. We've had about 20 in the series so uh -huh. far. Um, we just ask them to post their picture with the mug, oh, even and if nice. they don't want their face, they can post their hand or whatever oh, okay. with a coffee mug. They can and, model it you for know, you. <laughs> yeah, on on our Facebook page. So um, so we really enjoy getting oh, to know good. the folks, yeah. you know. And it's it's funny. We actually have had one lady that she sends in a lot of questions, and and she's she's actually won two mugs. Oh, she, she wants to be mugged more. She wants a collection. She wants the whole entire collection of mugs, right? She's getting a collection. Though. She's working on a collection. I have to tease her about that. It's pretty funny. You might have to change the policy on that. Like, you can only be a certain, like, allow, like, three mugs, and then that's your limit, right? So. And that's your limit. That's right. I mean, she she she's a she's a diehard Coffee with the Coder fan, so I love that. Oh, that's nice. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah, the yeah. idea is, you know, with what i like about what you're doing with coffee with the coder is is number one developing relationships right so you're doing that as part of your field team with aq consulting and with those relationships you're giving back by offering something you know so so very simple as just a simple recording of you answering a question and sometimes when you know people who who i, I guess my point is for those that want to create content but are worried about doing that may it be in a blog may it be in a vlog a video or even a podcast or just writing up an article just write it just send it out because you know whatever information you can give out there to the community especially for the medical coding hit cdi community i think it, it is very well received it's very well appreciated no matter what it is don't be afraid if it's correct of course you got to make sure it's correct you got to do a little bit of research of course but before sending it out there out into the interwebs you know you want to make sure but once it's sent out i mean it's well received and the more you do it the more recognition you get again more relationships build i think you know for those that you know we used to do the old way of networking where we have to meet the person but now because of technology uh, you know, we haven't met, but here we are. We're doing a podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. So, how frequent are these uh, these 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 uh, episodes? These the coffee with the coder. How how often do you have them? Um, currently, we are uh, doing coffee with the coder every other Monday. So, we just um, had our last episode this past Monday. Um, so, it will be, I believe, it's the twenty third or two weeks, excuse me, two weeks from this past Monday um, will be uh, the next one. So it's every other Monday. If you go to our AQIQ website, we actually post them. And the way that we post them is we tell you uh, what the questions were and like the topic of that question, the three, two, three or four questions in that particular call. So you can go and listen to any and all of them that you want on our website. Oh, wow. That's good. So I, you know, I, and I also, I, um, you make a, I mean, I, I want to make sure that everybody knows is that, you know, sometimes people, I, I, I see this a lot, especially in my group, is where they want to hear somebody tell them certain things, like answering a question or addressing a question. Uh, I guess people have different 
I guess, um, what's the word? Different ways of learning. It could be visual, it could be uh, from the auditory learning, you know. And so, you know, to have different methodologies of how you learn is the, the more the, the more the better, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And and uh, you know, um, Brian, you just asked me that, and I, I'm going back in my brain because you said how how often do you have coffee with a coder? And I said every other Monday, but I didn't tell you. Um, it's at an odd time, every other Monday at ten ten. So it's usually 10.10 to 10.20 or 10.25. So, um, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, just your coffee break with us in the morning every other Monday. And it's Eastern, Eastern time, Eastern time. Now I see why it's called coffee with the coder, right? So it's just a short little break away from your usual day and then just get something answered and move on, right? I, I, I like that. Do you, what do you do with the, so... Oh, a good question is how how is it that you do these episodes? Do you do people call in? Do people have to go to like a webinar, or is this something that's pre-recorded that you release? How what's the format of this uh, of Coffee with the Coder? Um, yes, it's a national call-in, uh, I guess segment you'd call it. Um, so we um, we advertise both on LinkedIn and on Facebook. And post the the phone number uh, up there for the national call in, um, and you know we'll post it. You know, usually it hits again on Sunday night just before Monday, but twice during the week, on both the uh, the website and on LinkedIn and Facebook, and um, and then you know there it is. So like if I, <laughs> so if I was interested in in uh, listening to it. Uh, I would go to your website. Would I get like uh, some phone number that I would have to call into? Yes, um, it's actually the every bit of advertising that we put out there has the phone number and the um, you know how you on the conference calls now you have to put in a conference ID number, so you'll get the conference call number and it is the same number every single week. But um, it is on the advertising on LinkedIn and Facebook and our website. It's the same number every week, and it's the same you know ID number that you have to put in. Now, if if I am not able to attend at that time, how can I listen to it? You can go to the AQIQ website, uh-huh. and it is recorded, and you can click. You could actually go back to all of the sessions oh, that have been presented to date. And what we do so that you don't just have to go in and listen to it to hear what all the questions were, we put the topics that were covered in that call so that if there is a certain question that you might be looking for, you can skim through the topics and go, oh, wait, I want to hear what she had to say about that. And you could click on it and listen to that session. Oh, nice. So it is available. Right, yes. and they have Absolutely to go to your free. website. It's Absolutely available. free is nice. <laughs> yeah, free is, <laughs> free is nice. Free is good, yeah. uh, and definitely a great resource, especially for those. So, what kind of topics do you go over? Do you mainly go over uh, rehabilitation coding? What are some of the type of topics you cover? Um, no, actually, uh, we the the questions that have been posed so far. I mean, we have had quite a bit of rehabilitation coding questions related to both the UB and the Earth High, um, and we have um, hospital uh, inpatient and outpatient coding questions. We've had some billing questions. We've had some. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if there's been any HIPAA-related questions that have been answered, but I know some have been posed, and I know they're being researched. Um, so, you know, just anything in uh, in the genre of, of revenue cycle, 
okay. if you will. Revenue cycle management, right? And so yes. if they have any of those questions, um, of course, they're going to con- go to your website and and do they post that? Is there like a certain form that they have to do that? Do they have to email you if they have the question that they want to have it um, there, uh, brought there up? There is. Yeah, they can. They can. Uh, there's a link. They can send post the question actually um, through a link or uh, email us. Um, they can email. There's a there's a contact us that you know to post your question and there's also a forum where they can post a question um, the subscribers to the AQIQ site of course we answer all of their questions but just just remember if you're sending in questions to coffee with the coder we have limited time and you know we try to get to as many as we can but we may not get all of the questions answered but you know if you do post a question to um, coffee with the coder and we have time to answer it, and we know that we're going to, you know, have you on that show that day. We, of course, will contact you to let you know, or contact the person to let them know that we're going to be talking, answering their question. So my next question is, how many questions do you typically get per episode? Typically three to four uh-huh. per episode. No, but um, how many do you get that that like you know like. In terms of oh, you know, you know what I'm saying, like in, how, how many, many coming come in, in, and then from there you have to select out gotcha. of so many. What's that amount? Um, I will say that oh my goodness, I I get so many of my, but between myself and and the other, I've got um, two or three other ladies that work with me, and because our clients know us, um, you know, I get a lot of questions. I. I I can't through the website. We don't get as many as we do in our email inbox. Oh gosh! So you you have <laughs> so, to you have to you know, like that that in itself is a process to get about three or correct. four good questions to to bring up on your next episode. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and one of the things we do, Brian, is you know uh, particularly let me I can use rehab as a as an example. Sometimes several people ask the same question. So when we have several people asking the same question, we know that that is something that we are going to have to address because there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of uh, vagueness out in the, in the industry related to that question. Um, and actually there have been two or three episodes that we've done um, where we have answered um, the same or similar question only because we had so many respondents asking the same question week over week over week and I felt like we needed to address it again hey guys we need to address this again you know just want to make sure or um, you know and then eventually we'll say you know go back and refer to that session of coffee yes, with the coder that's what I would say you know? <laughs> so yeah, I already said it can you go to that episode please can you go to that episode that's right because it gets too cumbersome yes it does because uh, you yeah. know it, it. I think it's not because of them not knowing. Is that you're getting different people, um, and perhaps they're they're not familiar with what you do, and whatever question that they have that's immediate, they're just gonna toss it right on you. And I see that a lot, especially in my groups. I'm like, okay, I see this. I see this question again a lot. It's not that it's annoying, but it's like you know, it's it's like you you see yourself from that position of seeing those questions come in what the true problems are and this gives you an idea okay well if this is the problem why don't they know it and once you've identified that then it's a matter of you know how can i help them understand that well and the uh, the other thing that we do with that information brian is we Mm -hmm. also create a webinar 
that oh, would have CEUs attached to it. Perfect. So that we know that's a that's a pain point in the industry. So right. therefore, we need to address it. That's wonderful. So it's it's really all about feedback in this case, where you're responding to certain feedback, certain type of questions that are all about there. So for those that are interested, especially in in creating a business, this is pretty much really the the basic way of doing it. You know, you're identifying problems and problems that are recurrent. I think that's most important. If they're recurrent, you better catch on to it <laughs> and right. then create a There's solution a fast point. and then make that's another right. make a company and then boom, you're set to go. That is absolutely right. That's very entrepreneurial of you, Brian. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean, you got to. I mean, that's you know, it's it's because I we had an episode earlier where um, it was Mary Dudash White from Hitnots, and she has a master's in education. And I brought up the question, you know, should I get a master's? You know, and I actually posted it in my group. You know, if you got a master's, what would you get it in? And uh, I'll I'll answer this question now. It might be and it might be. It's it's not definite yet, so don't hold me to it. Is it well, Brian? <laughs> did you get your master's yet? No. It's I, I would actually get an MBA in entrepreneurial and entrepreneurship, if that's the word, yes. entrepreneurship. Because uh, yes. in this case, you know what you're, you know what you have done is is that fact is where you've identified something out there in the industry. You said this is the problem. This is happening a lot often. And you're you're basically circled as I'm gonna last all onto this, and it may be something so simple, but you know it's happening a lot. Perhaps there's not enough people out there in the industry, you know, that can capture all of these problems at once. And maybe you just captured that small share, and that small share yeah, I, is yours. Yes, yes, yeah, I agree. About, it's all about uh, taking it, you know, taking it for what you <laughs> what it, you can get. That's right. You got to grab that bull by the horns and keep That's moving. That's <laughs> it. That's As it. As I told my daughter, you know, she was uh, in college and freaking out, you know, oh my gosh, I can't make it. And I said, listen, 90% of the show is showing up every single yeah. day. So mm-hmm. just keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep showing up. There you go. Well, that's awesome. Well, Paula, we've reached our time. I do want to thank you again for being part of this episode and being part of this podcast. Uh, I do have two final questions for you. Uh, first of all, what does the future hold for you and also AQ Consulting? Oh, wow. Uh, I hope amazing things. I I hope that I get to meet all of the folks out there who are listening to this podcast and listening to Coffee with the Coder. Um, you know, business continues to be great and grow. And and my you know, like I said, my passion is getting into your, the facilities and and meeting folks. And and I just I, I one someone gave me a very great compliment one day, and I do a lot of national presenting and. I was presenting for her organization, and she said to me, she said, I so enjoy you speaking because it's like we're sitting in your living room just having a conversation. That's it, yes. And I was like, wow, what a huge compliment. So the the relationships, you know, the uh, being able to meet folks and just continue to grow the company and and also help others grow to meet their goals. Right. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah. And you make a good point is is that you know when you speak to people, 
there tends to be a bit of a wall, <laughs> you know, like like you're out there to prove something wrong. But I think you make a good point is when you're talking to somebody, you don't know that. You don't know what where they are, what they're all about. And I think if you break down that wall and make things comfortable, as if we're sitting down having coffee with each other, you know, That's right. you know That's if you right. have that type of mentality and type of mindset and, you know, that that visualization of that type of environment, you know, you can develop easy relationships. You know, sometimes, you know, with people uh, in the group, especially in my group, they come as well, you know, I, I need a job. Well, can you? have a conversation first you know i need to know the person you know i understand your needs but i want to know for me you know in my groups people post their problems but then i i it, it you could see where i'm interviewing them probably you know and it's some it comes off weird when you see it type and i said well I, you know i'll type in well where did you come from or you know what where did you go to school and so <laughs> You know, when it's typed, it's weird. But when I say it, it it's more like, oh, okay, they, he wants to know a little bit more about me. But when they see it in the group, like, who, who's this guy? <laughs> what? Well, it seems kind of creepy. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, we're in that generation of text. And, you know, you can't hear that voice through that text. I know. <laughs> so it's, just it's like weird. you're saying, absolutely. It's weird, yeah, but it's, it's something that I think we need to make that transition is that, you know, especially in some type of community that you create, you want to ensure that at least set the tone, hey, we're here to help. You know, we're not here to, uh, you know, prove you're wrong or demean you or judge you. I think that's the be- that's the better word. You know, we're all in this together, especially with this small knit community of medical coders, medical builders, uh, revenue cycle compliance. It's a very small group. If you if you know if you kind of uh, look at it, and you know if you're all in it together, I mean, it, you know, you can make this industry grow so much better. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you know, Brian, just you know, as a consultant, even in the CDI world, you know, we're we're human. We're not perfect. You know, we could be wrong, you know, and having the ability to have the open discussion and say, oh, well, what do you think about that? Gosh, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to bounce stuff off of and, yes. and have that open conversation. So there you go. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's all about creating different mentors within each and every area. And so uh, we just had that episode about mentorship uh, recently and um if you guys listen to that, there's a good way of, you know, you don't just need one mentor. You can have multiple mentors in different ways. And it doesn't have to be like a whole entire uh, spiel that they have to give you in terms of what they know. They can give you just a nugget of information and boom, they're your mentor as long as you're following up with each other and staying and keeping some form of relationship. Yes, okay. absolutely. Right. absolutely. So our, my last question for you, uh, Paula, is what you've mentioned a lot of stuff, of course, and we do appreciate that. Uh, what final words do you have to share with our audience? What are some best words of advice you can give? Oh, best words of advice. Yeah. Wow. Um, hmm. Let me think about that for just a second. <laughs> um, I, I guess my best words of advice, and, and I actually received uh, a message from a woman who was thinking about getting into HIM, or she had been trying to get into HIM and was having a struggle, and you know, I'm I'm the encourager. I'm always the one with the silver lining. I'm I'm not the gray cloud. I'm the silver lining. So I'm always looking at the positive side of things. I'm also that classic middle child, so I'm very tenacious. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I would say, you know, just 
keep getting up and putting one foot in front of the other. Right. Um, seriously, if you want something bad enough, you're going to take steps to get there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, just like you and I were talking about, you have to have the right attitude about it. Yes. You know, if you you know as well as I do, if you're in a in a CDI position, you can't go to that physician, um, you know, in a hateful tone. You yeah. have to become you get that relationship with that physician That's the word, so that the R you word, can yeah. exactly talk it through and and you're not questioning his judgment and he doesn't come across he or she doesn't come you know think oh wow this person is questioning my judgment mm -hmm. you know so relationships are key and keep showing up and, and that would be my two two best um pieces of advice and, and that would be my two two best um pieces of advice and grab the bulls by the horn oh and grab oh absolutely number three <laughs> grab the bulls by the horns there you go Well, there you have it. That is my interview with Paula Digby. Now, before you guys go, please make sure to listen to some of the special announcements by AQ Consulting. First off are the AQIQ IRF Pro Labs. Now, these labs are specific. Uh, it's a three-day intensive training, two days for IRF coding and patient rehab facility coding, and also CDI, and I believe you get a third day for IRF operations. Now, their next Pro Labs event is coming up in April in Chicago, uh, April 25th through the 27th, and in May, they will be in Memphis. Uh, that will be in May 2nd through the 4th. Again, I will be putting most of this information into the show notes. The next thing they have is the Earth Pi Manual Resource Tool. From what I understand, this is an extensive tool that helps those, especially who perform Earth Pi coding. Uh, so you can guys go to www.aq-iq.com slash book dash shop. Again, that information will be in the show notes. And of course, please make sure to check out Coffee with the Coder. Uh, Coffee with the Coder is on every other Monday. Uh, as I think as of this episode, it will air on the same day that they will have their next episode. And I will be posting this at 10, 10 a.m., the same time that they have Coffee with the Coder. Also, AQIQ wanted to share a special pricing for not also classified listeners. Uh, all you got to do is go to aq-iq.com, go to their uh, shop and utilize the promo code GEEK. Again, that's G-E-E-K. Not Elsewhere Classified is presented and produced by Medical Coding Geek. Music was brought to you by 43 and Coyote Hearing. Medical Coding Geek offers tutoring and media services for the medical coding, health information, and CDI community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MED Coding Geek. That's MED Coding Geek. You can also find us on our website, medicalcodinggeek.com, where you can find and listen to all the podcast episodes plus the show notes from today. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. We would definitely appreciate it. And again, thank you for being part of this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui, and you have just listened to Not Elsewhere Classified. MedicalCodingGeek.com This podcast is supported by Weebly.com. Have a product? 
Building a company? You'll need a website. Create your site with Weebly's drag-and-drop website builder and responsive themes without any technical experience. Believe me, I built my website in under 30 minutes. It really is that easy. Listeners of this podcast will receive a 10% discount on any Weebly subscription plan or promote plan. To get this discount, go to Weebly. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot MedicalCodingGeek.com. Again, that's Weebly dot MedicalCodingGeek.com. Well, there you have it. That is my episode. Oh. There you have it. There is my... That. <laughs> what the heck's going on?